You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of the Elevator's Cut. I am one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And I'm your other host, Roger Gaddis. And today we have a special guest with us, uh, a fan of the show, that's probably generous, but <laughs> someone who has listened to the show, uh, <laughs> which is always uh, a surprise for us, and uh, but has, has some real good stuff to share with us today. We've got uh, Chad Felderhoff on the show. So, Chad, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I'm kind of a, uh, a long-time listener, first-time caller, right? All right. <laughs> And just to verify, Jason said a special guest. All of our guests are special. Okay, okay. yeah, put that qualifier in there so nobody else feels left out, right? Yeah. So uh, a little backstory here. Uh, Chad had reached out early on in the life of the podcast and uh, just to say hi and is listening. And if we ever thought he could be a, a, a guest on here with something to say, he'd be interested. And so here we are. And uh to back that up a little further, Chad and I used to trade together in our former lives. Uh, <laughs> Chad was down at Catoosa with Gavilon and when I was in Southeast Kansas. And uh, that's where we first met. And Chad had the uh, privilege of getting to work right alongside the one, the only, the legend, oh. Raymond Dixon. Oh man, I talked I talked to Mr. Raymond this morning. He said to tell you hi, Roger. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, he he uh, really helped me out early on in the grain business. I was still really new when I came to Southeast Kansas. And uh, I can remember the first load of grain we sold from Overman was to him. And uh, I still got a photocopy of that check somewhere. So we've got some <laughs> long history there. Yeah. Well, I don't know anybody that doesn't have a long history with Raymond. He's uh <laughs> I think they're going to put a statue somewhere on the grain bins or paint his name up there. He's uh, He's been up there as long as those grain bins have been for a while. Yeah, he's definitely a fixture and a, and a welcome one at that. Yeah. So, Chad, you've so, been in the grain business uh, for a while, and you still are uh, with your family's company. But tell us a little bit uh, about your journey to where you're at today, which is uh, with Munster Milling. Yeah, so basically, I grew up in the grain industry. Uh, we've got a, a small elevator here in North Texas, and I I grew up working harvest, sweeping bins, cleaning you know cleaning boot pits because at that point I was a small guy and I could fit in them. And you know, when your dad owns the place, he tells you to to get in there, and you really can't gripe at it or <laughs> tell him you're not going to do it because you don't have a place to sleep at night if you do that. So. I've uh, I've been acquainted with the uh, with the grain business for a long time. My brothers were all allergic, quote unquote, to grain dust. <laughs> so I I was the guy that they got thrown in the bins and uh, got to got to do that. And that was kind of all throughout college. Did that uh, on the summers. Come home, you know, in North Texas we have a little different harvest schedule than any than uh, than other people up north and even a little different than than southeast kansas there so mm -hmm. uh 
basically, whenever I'd come home after semester tests in college, I, I went to school out in Lubbock and I'd drive home and the, the wheat was starting to turn. And I knew probably a week after I got home, wheat harvest was starting and I couldn't get back to college quick enough to miss Milo <laughs> harvest. So, oh. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, that's uh, that's kind of our seasons. It, it all kind of gets jammed in there and uh, in the middle of the hot sun and all kinds of fun stuff. So I grew up doing that. I went to, went to tech. I got my degree in ag business, uh, got out, started working for a grocery store, couldn't handle the retail world. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I didn't want to take back a gallon of milk from some lady who drove around town for three hours and said, it's hot now. Uh, I, that just didn't make sense to me why I had to take a gallon of milk back from that person and give them a fresh one. So I kind of got out of that uh, working every weekend and all that kind of stuff to get back into the grain industry, which, you know, there's arguments against that as well. But uh, <laughs> I went back and, and got my master's in ag and applied economics and then started with ConAgra at that point uh, in Fort Worth, Texas. and then then we sold or the the grain division sold out to gavilon and so when i took the position i was about to get married and this is for all those young merchandisers out there they uh they have a hard fast rule with uh with the big corporations adm cargill all those guys whether they want to tell you or not they're going to move you as far away from home to see how loyal you are and i i kind of ask them to to live in Fort Worth for the time being, because that's where our wedding was going to be and trying to convince my wife who basically grew up in Dallas that we were probably moving somewhere with an eye <laughs> as the, uh, as a starting letter, she didn't quite understand it, but at least I got her across the threshold in Texas. <laughs> and, uh, then about six months in, I, I moved to Omaha. So, and, and work for Gavilon out of their corporate office. And uh, we kind of went on a seven year journey and had 13 different addresses and lived all over the place. Whew. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot about the grain industry, even though I thought I knew a bunch, I learned quite a bit more. And the one thing that was a big constant is the farmers in North Dakota are just like the farmers in in Texas, maybe a little different taste in the beer down here. It's natural light and up there it's a little different, but, uh, you know, you still show up at, a on, during a harvest day with a 12 pack and, uh, they're going to let you ride in the combine. <laughs> yeah. It, you, you hear that a lot in the industry and people say, well, the guys over here are different or the guys think they're different. And like you just said, it's the same, uh, cloth everybody's cut from no matter where you're at yeah they yeah. they told me i talked funny and and i kind of <laughs> put it back on them and said well i think you talk funny so no one likes to get a belly sample at the pit on their load of grain that's a constant <laughs> everywhere <laughs> I, I, yeah. remember, I, I remember the uh yeah, you, you start working with a, a guy. And he's like, hey, you know, you don't understand. Farmers here, they're they're different than you know wherever in the Midwest or whatever they think we're from. And and uh, and he's like, no, 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 farmers are different. They they uh, 
they're not they don't want to sell because they think for like prices might go they're really worried price might go up after they sell it you know I'm like really that's a that's that's never been a barrier to anyone else before so <laughs> that's pretty crazy no but i think it's funny so you you didn't want to you didn't want to do the grocery store thing and uh where lady drives around and bring for three hours and brings back uh milk but you you did you didn't mind doing it for apple talks and corn right yeah no you know i guess it, that's that's one way to look at it yeah uh didn't you bring this load in earlier today no nope, nope, <laughs> that one off uh okay. i still see the divot from the probe <laughs> yeah no I, I i sampled it at home just to check it to make sure first yeah, so yeah no that's it, uh it's a different it's more of a face-to-face -face interaction and you know i i guess i grew up around them and you know that most of the farmers are are all pretty hard-headed don't want to necessarily listen to to you especially as a young merchandiser and quite honestly it it was uh it was kind of interesting just uh, when i was in omaha i traded the pnw rail market and so a guy like me kind of fresh into it and i was calling shuttle loaders and and trying to buy grain and that was back in the ethanol boom and i was supposed to supply corn to this ethanol plant that was going to be out there by uh by our main export house at Kalama mm -hmm. and, you know here I am I'm calling some old seasoned veteran merchandisers that you know I'm trying to buy trains in 10-day windows and they're wanting to sell half month windows or full month windows and trying to deliver them in drop them in on an ethanol plant that only had enough storage for two days so <laughs> uh, that that was quite a bit of fun until it wasn't <laughs> right so you know to that end uh, as a young merchandiser traveling around the country what was your biggest challenge uh, obviously the personnel and getting to know people and the relationships is big but uh, from your experience w what was something big that um, you had to overcome you know so farmers are the same in every market right they they all the mentality is is a lot of the same and that i don't mean that in a bad way mm -hmm. right the the biggest thing was understanding the flow of grain and so when when i was starting out the flow of grain didn't make sense to me like so for example hard wheat flows to the texas gulf just mm -hmm. no bones about it yeah, it, it's going to go to some flour mills, but it all flows to the Texas Gulf. Corn, you get north of Nebraska, corn's going to flow to the PNW. And so it's kind of like figuring out where that continental divide is mm. and understanding the cash market. For me, I, I've always had a, I've always enjoyed the futures side of the market. To me, that's that's just a lot of fun, and and I like to when I get the opportunity, just dig in and geek out on the future side of things, and Fibonacci and GAN and all of that fun stuff, right? And so I had a I had a pretty decent understanding of the futures market, or what I thought I had a decent understanding of the futures market when I came into the industry, and, and kind of being around it. My dad was a big merchandiser, 
Um, and, and he showed me some of the ropes, but just when you got to a new place, figuring out where the flow of the grain should mm-hmm. go and understanding that cash market and how it works. Yeah, that's, that's huge because like you said, everywhere is different. Uh, and I love our markets. They're so interesting in that, you know, take basis, you know, it's its own independent thing for each market center, but it's influenced by every other market center out there. And yeah. it's really cool to see how all those movements and arbitrage actions happen out there. Yeah. And so whenever I was in Catoosa, for example, all the corn and could all the corn in Southeast Kansas flows to that Springdale market, mm-hmm. right? 90% of it flows to that yeah. market. I don't know if that's still the case, but there became an opportunity. Oh, what year? I, I forget 2010, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I actually loaded a corn. I loaded a barge of corn. I was the first one, I think, to in in our company's history to load a barge of corn out of, out the port of Catusa, because there was an arbitrage opportunity with the SIF market. Yep. Typically doesn't work. Barge freight, you know, all the stars had to be aligned. But then again, it worked and it, it worked fairly well for that year. And so yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. And and when I worked in South Dakota in 2013, and you know, we had a lot of stuff sold to the PNW out of our South Dakota plant. Well, it actually turned around and spread better to Hereford. Mm. So you know, it, it's kind of just learning kind of the flow of the, and it took two or three years and it sure. was really frustrating sometimes when you, when you got to a new spot or you did something different that you weren't accustomed to really trying to figure out why is grain going to the ethanol plants? We should be loading shuttles. Mm-hmm. Oh, that type of, that type of scenario. Yeah. The saying that the you know market can stay uh, irrational irrational longer. longer than you can may solve it. You know, freight some does that sometimes too, and where yeah. grain needs to go and where you think it should and where you think it doesn't. Uh, I can remember a time bad vomitoxin in Southeast Kansas, and uh, everybody was asking, "Where's this wheat going?" This it was soft wheat, and I said, yep. "It's going in your white bread." It was going out west to the flour mills because it was such low protein that they were just trickling a little bit out and they could make it work. And there you go. Yeah. No, at one point we, uh, when I was in Fort Worth, we brought, we were bringing Northern spring wheat down to Fort Worth to load on containers to go to Indonesia. Oh, wow. That was a fun one. (laughs) There, There was a time where, that that's another hard lesson I learned. It wasn't hard, fortunately, but uh, I learned the real difference between an offer and an indication in that mess. Because <laughs> I sold a shuttle load of uh, of spring wheat on containers and didn't know I did. Oh, oops! Luckily, the market went my way. Um, <laughs> Because I I literally was in it, oh, probably four or five months in. <laughs> and so the way the big companies work is you got a hedge desk and, and all that kind of fun stuff that mm-hmm. you call in, right? And 
so funny story i'm talking to this guy about loading containers and we had done like twenty thousand bushels and he's like hey where would you be on four hundred thousand bushels so i wrote him back hey i'd be right here on four hundred thousand bushels and i forget it was this was back in 2007 so it was like a buck 30 over mm-hmm. right fob fort worth and he wrote back and he was like okay sounds good and, and i just kind of i just kind of just went on about my day right and uh, <clears throat> probably a couple of days later i got a an email with a confirmation in it i'm like what's going on <laughs> and so luckily the market had fallen about 60 cents i think uh somewhere right around in there and wow. it all worked out the good lord was watching over me and i didn't get hung out to dry but uh after <laughs> what i called that one in the 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 boss i got a call from the boss and he's like what the what are you doing what, who, who gave you authority to sell four hundred thousand bushels of spring wheat no less wow i, said, I, I guess i didn't know it was here and that was the plan and and i didn't know i sold it and he's like anytime you put an offer on it next from here on out use indication and so wow. that's that's what i lead in when i train any new merchandiser what's the difference between a bid offer and an indication boy that's a good one <laughs> man can you imagine i mean the boss that's what he wants to hear i didn't know i sold it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so what it was is we we just got a brand new elevator manager and so i was a trainee underneath the elevator manager and this guy just i mean this i'm not even joking probably two weeks into him getting here and we we had just loaded some containers that type of situation we built kind of the infrastructure to load containers and i just look at him i'm like hey i i got a problem and he was like what do you mean you got a problem and i'm like well it's not really a problem because i just cleared an extra 60 cents on 400,000 bushels for the company so i think i'm all right yeah and, and so then i go to call it in and the and the lady at the hedge desk god bless her soul she i think she about had a heart attack she <laughs> you know she was like you do what 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 do you what's going on <laughs> and then, that, then that's you know they've all got the at the corporate offices they've all got the the headsets where they can pick up and start talking right mm-hmm. what are you what's going on and, and you know at that point minneapolis was pretty volatile right and so yeah they, they were like, they had a huge position in minneapolis and gavilon was a a uh at that time i think they were a delivery house and so it, okay. anyway it was long story short uh, somehow I didn't get fired over it. Well, it, I just keep waiting for you to say, "Where's my bonus?" <laughs> uh, and I, 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 uh, I climbed back in my hole after that one because I, <laughs> I realized how big a whoopsie that could have been. But you know that goes right to uh, our business, the communication, in our business. Terminology is everything, <laughs> and it varies <laughs> so much from area to area. And, and yep. you just laid a great example of that out. That's yeah, it. and the, the the attitude is there's two ways to handle that, right? One one is it, people mess up and it goes in their favor, 
and they think they're geniuses. <laughs> it's like, oh man, you messed up. Like you said, it could have just as easily gone the opposite direction, it, you know, and and cost you that. And, and so that's there's two ways of looking at that. And it, like, man, I, I uh, I'm more on on your side of things. Hey, man, I'm glad it worked out, but let's never do that again because <laughs> it could just as easily gone the other way. Yeah, yeah. So I I learned real quick that. <laughs> You only put a bidder offer if you want to sell it. An indication at least gives you a back out. That's awesome. <laughs> That's incredible. So uh, your transition then from corporate grain world to where you're at now. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So as I spoke about earlier, my wife is from Dallas and, and Texas people kind of have this affinity for being in Texas. And God rest her soul, I took her out of Dallas and we ended up in Mitchell, South Dakota and the Corn Palace just wasn't that impressive. <laughs> so long story short, it, it snowed on Easter and the wife was, was pregnant and I had a little one on the ground as well. And my brother was, was working for the company, for the family business. And at some point I knew I was always gonna go back to the family business. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to push the corporate world as kind of when you're in a small town, you want to get out of the small town and make a name. Oh, for yeah. Yourself, right. And so it was one of those situations where I pushed and went as hard and, and we started a, you know, I was at the groundbreaking of a $60 million shuttle loader in, in the middle of South Dakota. And that was awesome. We had, we'd take in shuttles of fertilizer and we'd ship shuttles of grain. And, you know, we had this super fast elevator where I loaded a shuttle train in five hours. And wow, you know, it was a, it was a hammer, right? Uh, there were a lot of other, it was a JV mm. that kind of went bad it is a, is one way to put it. Gavilon was at the point of selling to Marabini and wow. It, there was there was a ton of drama. Our contractor went bankrupt, about 80% done in the facility. Our JV partner wasn't happy. It was it was a pretty toxic area. Mm -hmm. And they said, Well, we can we can move you to Montana. And I, I kind of just looked at them and said, I've been I've been everywhere with you guys. I'm gonna make the call myself. And my brother and I had been talking and he's like, man, I really need some help on the operations side. Come back. So that's where I came back. Uh, I came nice. back back in 2013, roughly. So we're, we're going on eight years here. It, it, it's one of those things where I'd always worked. I've always been around. You know, Dad had been here for 40 years. And mm -hmm. so anytime we came home, yeah, I, I'd run into people and, and know them here at the, uh, at the facility. So it was a good time and, and I came back and, uh, you know, we worked for probably, I guess it was three years because we've owned the business for five now. So we worked for three years, mom and dad kind of doing their thing. Uh, your typical, like we've got, we got 400,000 bushels worth of space here mm -hmm. at our facility. We did have about 800,000 bushels worth of space. We had a, uh, they had a micro burst in 2011 that came in and, and wrecked 
28 out of 30 pins. Wow. And when dad went back up, he put all, and a lot of those were flat bottom 60,000 bushel bins. So he mm -hmm. went back up with 40,000 bushel hopper pins because he didn't want to clean them out anymore. Mm -hmm. So yeah. thank you for that, dad. Uh, I, just, I wish maybe you would have left the the couple of hundred thousand bushel bins up because they'd been nice on some of these carry years, but that's, <laughs> that's for another day. There you go. <laughs> so we uh, we came back and or I came back and took over more of the operations, the grain, uh, the grain purchasing side of things, uh, working with the farmers and most of these guys. I I would always probe the trucks in the summertime, so. They're still mm -hmm. driving the same bobtails and, and you still know most of them um, on a first name basis. And, and it's, it's great. And then, you know, we pushed the dog food side of things and mom and dad were just kind of tired and, and it was time to time to buy them out because they didn't want to push as hard as we did. And so this is, this is probably one that, you know, your farmers, your, your small grain elevators, they probably, are sitting around thinking about this themselves and oh absolutely this is the one of the biggest topics among the customer base right now and uh for everybody that's done it right and done it well there's a dozen that are struggling with it right now as you can imagine yeah and so i don't i would say i would argue that there's nobody that's done it right <laughs> they may be all cheery sure. and, and and happy and say oh yeah it, it went great I, I'd love to say that and, and things are, are good now, but man, it was a rough couple of years trying to make that transition mm -hmm. because, yeah. you know, for the most part, dad was great about it. He had been here for 40 years. He put in his time. He'd come in in the morning after he'd stop off at the coffee shop and, you know, he'd, he'd read his political emails. That was back when Obama was in office and, you know, oh, I can't believe they're about to do this and this, that, and the other, and you know, send a couple of those out. And then he's like, "It's time for lunch. Let's go eat lunch." So he'd go to the cafe and eat lunch. And at lunchtime, he'd say, "Well, boys, I got to go work some cattle this evening or this afternoon. You, you fine if I take off?" And we were like, "Yeah, sure, Dad. Go right ahead. That's fine. No, no, no worries." Sure. Uh, and so, but mom would always kind of dig her heels in and and feel that she needed to be there for everything mm -hmm. and she she handled the books and the accounting and and all the grain stuff and you know whenever i came back and we did a couple of htas and different things like that it kind of ruffled some feathers mm, i bet <laughs> and so while dad got it mom was why am i sending money in for margin calls what's this all about why are we doing this <laughs> and and so you know it just it became clear that hey guys it's it's time for us to to buy out or we're gonna have to go find somewhere else to work to provide to keep christmas happy right? sure you're yeah you're gonna be around these people the rest of your life yeah yeah and so <clears throat> it was it was tough there and you know so it's like, who, well, go ahead. I was gonna, I was gonna ask, like, who brought it up and how'd you do it? Like, when did the first conversation about it? Well, so long story short, we did, we added some more shifts and added some more revenue and added some more money to the bottom line. My brother and I did, and 
we we kind of did that for a couple of years and we didn't really see anything out of it and so that's when we were kind of like we we basically said hey we're building this we'd like a little return off of it we'd mm -hmm. like to we'd like to see some of the fruits of our labor we get it we want to take care of you but we want to see some fruits of our labor well oh yeah dad him hauled a, around about it for two and a half years uh, or for a year and a half anyway there was a hedge fund that came in dog food was a hot topic they wanted to buy a dog food plant they walked in saw it was a 1927 mill with some old wooden bins stuff like that and dad told them he wanted x dollars and they kind of just said nah that doesn't fit in our program but mm -hmm. they really liked my brother and i because we were young guys we we knew the operation and they had some other pet food plants and so my brother does sales and i do the operations and so they they kind of <clears throat> we couldn't convince mom and dad that somebody was going to buy it for us Right. They were basically buying us and long story short we told him well we'd like to buy it we'll go to the bank we'll get whatever money we can get and and we'll go down that road and dad wanted a contract which is great everybody needs a contract i don't care if you're family that would be my one piece of advice to any of the anybody listening out there that's making a transition D write a contract just get one it doesn't have to be long and hard but contracts keep people friends right yep and make it's, sure it's signed make sure it's signed exactly so <laughs> we we brought a contract to to dad and and we had a, a friend that was a an MA lawyer and it was 67 pages and dad said not only no but hell no i want 15 pages hmm. on the contract and so we said okay well we can get you a, a 15 page contract and and then we can kind of we can figure it out from there did you just and, go to like size two font or something like that oh man i tell you what the lawyer was just he was like i i'm gonna put in here that you can't counter sue me because this didn't go through because some other lawyer <laughs> found something you know and, and so we told dad hey here it is take it to the local attorney there's nothing in there that's gonna trip you up and so they got really defensive I, i'm not gonna lie they got really defensive because the way they looked at it, they could own and operate it for three more years and get just as much mm -hmm. as what we're gonna pay them. And so they they got really defensive. We, long story short, we went to the bank, we did an appraisal, the bank, we went through a land bank because we got some calves and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And we went to high school with the guy and they gave us a an LTV of 80% and we put it all on the line and that's that's where we are and so nice. we bought it out from underneath them made it i i won't say out from underneath them they're they're doing just fine and you know the transition period was easy with dad and hard with mom and mm -hmm. basically just had to say all right mom anytime we'd take something away from her uh, it, it was it was tough there were tears involved and so we just had to make a clean break and you know tell her hey we've, we've given it over a year to transition and you're just digging in even further mm -hmm. come on it's it's time to go and so you fire your mom and then you go to thanksgiving at her house that's Oof. a fun one oh man yeah 
So, so the, the clean break, that sounds like an excellent idea. And uh, it sounds to me too that uh, expectations from both parties uh, has to be in alignment for something like this to work. Well, I would say I don't think you'll ever get your expectations aligned mm -hmm. because uh, you could get square with that and he goes home and talks to mom and comes back with a different story, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the, the clean break, and it's, it's tough because family is emotional and everybody has, everybody can think that nobody's trying to screw them, but everybody wants to think that somebody's screwing them. Right. It's kind of like when you call that farmer and uh, and corn's up on corn's down and you're like, man, I really think you should you should probably look at selling some new crop here. We might go lower. <laughs> he thinks you're trying to pull one over on him, right? Exactly. <laughs> he thinks you're gonna make all the money if it goes lower. And yeah, you're cut. That's not the case. Yeah. So the elevator's cut is not not that great for anybody listening out there. <laughs> Thinks elevators. Right? It's definitely not what it's been made out to be. <laughs> no, no. So yeah, the the clean break, having a contract, just setting forth those expectations and saying, okay, here's what it's going to look like, and setting milestones is probably where we messed up. Mm -hmm. Of at this point, at this juncture, this is where we're going to be. Yeah. So it, it's tough. Like I said, it's tough with family. But now things are great, I would assume. Yeah, no, I mean, time heals all wounds. And, sure. and so uh, it was it, worth it. All that was worth it now. Yeah, all that was worth it. You know, looking back, there's always something that could have done better. Mm -hmm. For the most part, nobody's any the wiser, I don't think. Like, right. you know, the employees didn't really see anything other than mom and dad not really showing up dad still walks in and and he takes her we make some feed for him as a as a clean out and he just is happier than a lark getting some <laughs> feed for his gals so uh nice. you know so you, you got you got the big stuff right but yeah i mean there's always nothing ever goes perfect but yeah the i, I you know talking to people who are either they're at all different stages in this whether they're just thinking about it whether they've just trying to put together some sort of contract or agreement or whether they're, you know, trying to get through the other side of it. It's, uh, it's when we talk to guys going through this, it's just like, look, there's, you know, get the big stuff. And it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's never going to be just sunshine and roses. And we're all, uh, on the beach in our khakis and white shirts and <laughs> having, having fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's never that. Yeah. But, yeah. And so the, the last point is if you don't think you're getting a good deal and they don't think you're getting a good deal or they don't think they're getting a good deal, you're probably about right. Nice. Um, because yeah. they're always going to, you know, one side is always going to think it's worth more than what the other one does and vice versa. Right. Yeah. So if you both are kind of equally upset about the transaction, you're about there. <laughs> Hey, it says just like buying grain. Yep. Yep. You just got to wire it. It's, it's kind of one of those things where there's a 10 cent spread and everybody just commits to meeting in the middle, right? Yeah. There you go. That's, that's amazing. Hey, yep. one thing I was going to, so as you guys obviously took a bigger role and then eventually now, now you own, own it, you and your brother, you, 
you did uh, your company. You guys kind of became a viral sensation there. And uh, I'd, I'd hate to go the whole podcast. For our listeners who who have, maybe haven't heard about it, can you tell us a little bit about about what what happened there and and the backstory? Yeah. So. I guess it was last year about this time my brother my brother and I actually in December we were kind of talking about hey we should one of us should eat dog food for a month (laughs) and it was kind of it it was kind of just in passing and so you have to you have to know us a little bit to kind of garner the appreciation Uh, but my brother just he's a sales guy wide open he opens his mouth and and you know, we're, we're going to do it. I, he's writing checks and I'm trying to catch them behind him. You know, he, for him, 400,000 bushels in a, in a container would have been nothing that he probably would have sold eight. So <laughs> anyway, he, he started telling everybody in December, I think I'm going to eat dog food for a month. And so we had just brought on a, a freeze dryer. And mm-hmm. so we processed raw meat and freeze dried and it's better for the animals and and the whole year before that we had done a lot of challenges so we had done the carnivore thing for a full a full year or a full i did it for almost 60 days where i did nothing but eat meat drink coffee eat meat and drink water right awesome and so it was great i lost i'd lost 65 pounds so it was better for the body it was great and and we kind of that's the route we were taking with the dog food. Hey, dog food's healthy. And so we were kind of sitting around in December. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna eat dog food for a month. Uh, okay. And <laughs> what, how, how are we gonna word this and why are we gonna do this? And he's like, well, basically Purina and none of these other guys will eat their products. And I said, yeah. And then we found there's some vegan dog food out there, whole earth or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he, he goes on an ad and eats it, right? Well, anybody can eat dog food once or twice for an ad. Right? <laughs> and so then it turned into, okay, well, I think I can do it for 30 days. And so it, it became a, just a, a sensation. And honestly, for 15 to 20 days of the month, there was no traction. Like we'd post videos on Facebook and, mm-hmm. and we kind of made it a, a brotherly challenge we flipped a coin and caught a meatball and and all that kind of fun (laughs) stuff but that was more theatrics really to kind of drive drive home hey we're gonna do this and then then all of a sudden it caught traction and there's uh (laughs) there was a a chinese video out there with showing my brother in in korea or something like that i forget where it was but it was like man eats dog food you know (laughs) So it, he went on, he started getting on different shows, even made it on Jimmy Fallon. He mentioned wow. it. And so we turned around, we made, there's, if you, you to, if you YouTube, uh, man eats dog food for 30 days, we did a full 45 minute documentary on it. Oh, really? That's awesome. Yeah. And so out. if you go out there, yeah, you can go out on YouTube, you can go on our website and all the links are out there because that was kind of the thing. We're gonna generate some some media behind it, some some evergreen material. And 
we sell online and then the pandemic hit and everybody's buying online and it it just it was it was a good relief for for some people i think <laughs> so you, your brother's like you know we we talk about the guy in wuhan that ate the bat they're talking about that guy in america that ate the dog food that's how it all started <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe that's how it all started uh I, i'm not exactly certain but uh yeah. it, it made for good publicity and Oh, and honestly, about 25 days in, he's like, I think I can get down to where I lost 30 pounds. Wow. And so I can eat dog food for 30 days and lose 30 pounds. And everybody asked me, did he really eat dog food? Yes, that's all he ate was dog food. And that's why he lost 30 pounds. When you eat <laughs> grape nuts for every meal of the day, you just stop worrying about eating. <laughs> yeah. yeah you're not in a hurry to get that next meal down anyways <laughs> no no so you just think about man if i drink enough water i can make it to the next day and not have dog food right yeah so uh, no but yeah. your dog food though is uh, like you you alluded to earlier it's it's different from your standard you know dog food you get the you get the store or whatever so what all what do you guys do different what's in your dog food what was he eating i guess yeah, so uh, a lot of what he ate was some of our freeze-dried meats, and and so any backpackers are are out there, or you know preppers that listen or whoever, yes. you see a lot of the freeze-dried stuff in MREs, and and you can go in the grocery store and you can buy freeze-dried strawberries, different things like that. So our dog, a lot of our dog foods, we we are on the high meat inclusion and. You know, from a grain buyer standpoint, it goes against my religion to, <laughs> to say that that grains are not necessarily made being dog food. Um, so we we do a high high meat inclusion on our on our dog foods and a high fat diet. And so we take a little different stance than than most everybody else because everybody's looking to make a cheaper product, mm -hmm. and we're not necessarily about a cheaper product. We're trying to put the best product out there for for the animals and something that's going to be sustainable for a long time and yeah. honestly when you get back down to it a dog was I, i've never seen coyotes in a cornfield eating a corn cob <laughs> you'll see them in the in the cornfield chasing a rabbit yeah um, and so you know not to not to pick on any of the grain guys because i i i love the grain side of things as well but yeah. uh you know, we, we took it down that road and that's, that's kind of why we do what we do on a freeze dried and on the, on the regular dog food side. Hey man, it takes a lot of grain to make all that meat. So uh, perfect. Exactly. It's, there I, you I'm, go. I'm, we're consuming it one way or another. That's right. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Uh, like you said, you're not trying to be the cheapest product out there and overall for sure in, in this business, uh, grain brokerage, whatever it is, it just seems like a race to the bottom on everything. And what people aren't looking at is the sustained benefit or lack thereof. And so it sounds like you guys have found that niche uh, with your product that fulfills both of those things. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah, you can either you can either be the cheapest or you can be the best. You can't be both. Right. Amen. Yeah, so circling back a little bit on the succession and how that went from your folks to you and your brother. Now, looking forward, I know you've got plenty of time down the road, but how are you going to approach the next transition in your business 
whether it's to the next generation in your family or what's your thoughts there right now as it sits? You know, right now as it sits, I, I'm lucky to have four four beautiful daughters and my brother has three rambunctious boys. So there's a fifth generation out there. I don't know if the company will make it there. Um, at this point, we're kind of head down, charging hard and fast. And, you know, quite honestly, if somebody walks in with a big checkbook and says, hey, I like what you've done, we're going to be foolish not to not to take that check and and go on and and find something else uh, for our families to 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 go down that road. Mm-hmm. We've already, you know, we've, we've kind of surpassed the time whenever we made it past the the second generation, right? And uh, you know, <clears throat> we've separated ourselves. Fourth generation is is great, and a non-emotional Chad says fifth generation you know if if the good lord wants it to happen it'll happen Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's not something that that i've necessarily that we've kind of talked about we went through the whole transition phase and we've talked about it i mean there's some great family-owned companies out there that have been that way for a while for a long time right and there's Mm -hmm. ways around it um we we haven't really committed to saying okay it's going to the fifth to the sixth generation. Uh, basically, we, we've kind of taken the approach of, okay, let's see what we can build. And, you know, when it gets down to that point, I think we, my brother and I have committed that if it was going to the fifth generation, it's gonna be a as peaceful transition as we can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think everybody has that intention we'll probably try to 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 write most of it out and you know here's another aside that i didn't really cover my brother and i have a buy sell agreement um, hmm. even even though whenever we bought it out that was that was one of the things we did so we've got you know that uh, a buy sell agreement between both of us and it's triggered by certain things and hmm. you know that's different for everybody but you kind of have to know what divorce looks like everybody sure. hates to to talk about it, but you really got to know what it looks like. And so, you know, there's nothing in there that that talks about the fifth generation, but you know, uh, it it's hard to tell what the world's going to look like in 20 years, sure. much less five. Right. So, Chad, did you guys yeah. seek any outside counsel uh, besides your, your your local folks that drew up the paperwork? Did you? Um, find any resources specifically for family transition that you could recommend anybody or any thoughts to what uh, what direction you would send someone that's going down this path? You know, we we reached out, we're part of some entrepreneurial groups out of Dallas and, and different things. And we were lucky enough to, to come across some guys that had done it before. And they kind of gave us some tips and tricks and said, hey, make it a clean break. And we said, no, our, ours is going to work different. <laughs> and everybody's on the same page. And they just kind of shook their head and said, OK, I'm going to ask you this question again in two years. And you tell me. <clears throat> and, and so we found some really good mentors on that side of thing, mm-hmm. on that side of things. And as far as books. I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a big Audible guy, and I had never have found a family business book. 
And so maybe that's my next calling is yeah, there you go. I get done with this, I write a family business book on how to transition your family uh, in and out. So uh, that's yeah. I think you're onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, you know, I I think there's good resources out there if you're looking around. If if somebody wants to talk to me, they can reach out to me. Uh, I have no problem. Uh, that was it. It's really tough when when family gets involved and and you want to talk to somebody but you don't want to sound like you're you're whining or you're complaining mm -hmm. too much right yeah. yeah and and so yeah no if, if somebody wants to visit i'm more than happy and and i can point them in in some different ways depending on where they're at uh, but you know a lot of it is just finding a finding a decent lawyer that can write it up you know, mm. find, don't just go to the hometown lawyer because he writes all the wills and trusts. Uh, mm. Make sure he's got some experience. You know, yeah. we we came across and, and got recommended to a guy and, and it was great. So awesome. We uh, one other thing I, I uh, did want to ask you about is we talked about how you and your brother handled it and the dynamic with your mom and dad. But you guys have uh, other siblings, right? Yeah, so we have other brothers and sisters, and I've got a sister that's a civil engineer in Dallas, and I've got a brother that's an industrial engineer out in out in Denver. So you could say we're not the brains of the family, and they were the smart ones to get away. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was they they didn't really have an interest in the in the business, and um, it, they kind of just they let us do our thing, and so. Uh, not one not one time did they ever kind of complain or, or raise a fuss about it and you know it, i guess we were fortunate on that side yeah okay good circling back to the world of grain things and oh um, man what yeah where are we going are we going back to an old trade we made in katusa <laughs> i mean well uh, i was accused of sending party. loads of soft wheat as hard wheat, but to a competitor of yours down there at the time. So, and I know at least one listener of the podcast knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> He'll probably say something on Twitter when he hears it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, you've got a lot of experience in the grain world and, and seen a lot of different markets. What is a piece or some pieces of information that someone new to the business, whether they're an originator, working to be in a merchandiser, an elevator manager, what is some kind of skill that would be applicable to all those spots within the grain business? You know, going to a grain grading school at first <laughs> is uh, that's a good bit yeah. of information. Do what? I said, that's an incredible bit of information. Yeah, and I don't know if they offer them as as frequent as they used to. Um, but going to a grain grading school, there's there's plenty of material. So the the grain market, if you're new to the industry, you know you got to find the Raymond Dixons of the world and just mm -hmm. latch onto them because there's a wealth of knowledge in in those guys. And while they may be somewhat crusty and and cantankerous uh <laughs> raymond would laugh anyway so I, yeah, i'm not really I can, worried I can about hear him that. laughing right now <laughs> yeah so 
listening to the to the older guys and and you know it's not the game stops of the world it's not it's not as fast moving um it's faster than and even 10 years ago we were moving 10 times as fast i think in the mm-hmm. grain industry um but understanding basis is is huge for any new merchandiser anybody that's coming in just sit there and and listen on the phone all the time i've i've trained probably five or ten merchandisers that are still in the business and and I don't know if I trained them or just kept them from going off the rails, but you know, there, <laughs> there's some risks that you got to take and sometimes you got to swing for the fences. So, uh, but yeah, a grain grading school, know what you're trading, hmm. like understand that before you actually get into it. Um, don't just, you, you don't just buy a house sight unseen, right? Most people don't anyway. Right. And, and so, there's a lot of little nuances and if you're if you truly are new and you're new to an area uh southeast kansas for instance soft wheat's going to trade under the chicago but in north texas soft wheat trades under the kc mm-hmm. and when i moved to to tulsa it was a it was a different era for me because i was or a different kind of situation uh, soft wheat on the river traded over the chicago not over yep. the kc and uh, there were a couple of times where I got caught. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that spread can fly around a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a hair. Um, so, and even the basis spread on that gets mm-hmm. interesting. So long story short, if you're new to the market, new to the area, give it six months and just talk to the older guys. And, you know, it's all a relationship business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I got to, when I got to Tulsa, Raymond had talked to some of these people for 25 years, but never met them. Yeah. And, and it was like, all right, we're going on a road trip. I don't leave the office. Well, you do today, old man. And, <laughs> and uh, it was, it was just groundbreaking. And so he was like, man, this is, I, you know, I've always talked to them, but they don't look the way I think they'd look. I said, I'm sure the same's true, Raymond. <laughs> Absolutely was. <laughs> So we picked yeah. on Raymond probably too much for this uh, this episode. I'm just I'm just waiting for his retirement party invite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's that's great information. It's practical. You know, I think uh, there's some folks that get into the industry and they feel that they need to be experts on market noise and what's going on with every buyer and every seller. And uh, you're absolutely right. The best thing you can do to make yourself better is to understand what's going on in your backyard and how it affects your business. Yeah, yeah it, it's all a relationship. No truer words were ever said. Well, we're running short on time here, I think, Chad, but I, man, I really appreciate you and, and uh, coming on and, and sharing everything with us today. And uh, so a couple things. One, which do you think is harder? eating dog food for 30 days or buying your parents out of the family business? Well, eating dog food for 30 days, you know, there's an end in sight. Buying your parents <laughs> out is a little tougher. <laughs> and then uh, the other thing is, uh, we all know, of course, grain elevators, uh, main source of revenue is uh, is honey buns and other little Debbie snacks on the, on the counter. 
but uh but other than that they also sell a sell a good chunk of dog food here and there so anyways if people want to just know more information you had said they could reach out to you how do they do that yeah so you can go to monstermilling.com that's our website you can order we can deliver uh to your house via fedex or ups uh, if you might i'm out there i'm on facebook i'm on twitter i'm on instagram uh you know there's there's multiple ways all you gotta do is search for Chad Felder off and and you might find me or you'll probably find me. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So if people want to reach out, those are probably the best avenues to to get a hold of me. And you know, I I'm it's free to talk and I have no problem helping somebody through uh, a family transition or if they're if they're a new merchandiser and they've just got questions. What I what I love about you guys is is you put it practical and there's there's all kinds of of training and books out there but there's different topics that that it's hard to explain to somebody mm -hmm. uh when they're sitting there in the office but if you can give them a podcast or a book and i haven't i haven't really found a great book on the futures market but there's a couple out there yeah um, they kind of explain it but you know just you guys are doing awesome. Keep it up. I love the guys that you have on and the, and the different topics that you cover. Appreciate that. Coming from a fellow uh, grain man, we will definitely take that as high praise. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the network that we're in, this grain industry, like you keep alluding to, is, is small and it's a relationship. And it's very easy to find a mentor if you just look. There's a lot of people willing to share. There, there may be some secrets in the green business, but there's not many. And a lot of people are happy to help new people into business. It's been my experience. Yeah, and I, I got told by an old grain merchandiser one time, when you leave, don't stand up on a desk and piss everybody off. So <laughs> it, It'll come Thank around you. to bite you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I guess that'll do it for us today. Thanks again for coming, and uh, that's the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. As always, thanks for downloading and listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with folks you know in the business. And if you'd like to reach out anytime about anything at all or have any show ideas, you can always find us on Twitter at Elevators Cut. Follow us there, tweet at us, DM us, and we'll always respond. Till next time, for Roger, I'm Jason. And for Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevators Cut. Oh.